Well, this morning, you see on the screen a quote from Mother Teresa. It says, many people mistake our work for our vocation. Our vocation is the love of Jesus. And vocation is... I only got two. You only got two? That's okay. (laughs) Vocation is kind of an old word. Do you hear it used very often in normal, everyday conversation? No. What do you understand vocation to be? Your life work, okay. Anybody else? I'm sorry? Your calling. Who said that? Maureen, okay. Your calling, your life work. Anybody else? Your job. Your career. Okay. Well, let's look at, first of all, um, the root of vocation. It comes from the Latin language, and Latin vocatio, meaning a call or a summons. In other words, come here. Come. So there's a sense of following the call, if you will. Okay, there's a sense of you have been summoned to come forward, and you must respond. Okay? So vocation is a calling from some entity to some entity, and the second entity must respond in order for the call to be fulfilled. Okay? That's the Latin. Now, I looked it up. I wanted to go back to an old, old dictionary, but I don't have access to an old, old dictionary. So unfortunately, I had to go to the new dictionary stuff online. But I was intrigued to find a few different definitions. One of them said, a divine call to God's service. Like me, I'm a pastor. Priests are called into God's service. Evangelists, missionaries, um, nuns, monks. Anybody who enters into a life of service for the kingdom of God is called or has a divine call. Oh, there it is. That was supposed to all come up once. Divine call to the Christian life. Um, Now, this second thought, though, to the Christian life, that was the second thing I wanted to, to talk with you about. It's not just a call to being a pastor, but indeed there is a calling... And we say in our own theology, in Wesleyan Arminian theology, we believe that God woos each one of us. We call it prevenient grace. He's drawing. And it says in the Word of God, we can't come to the Father unless He draws us, unless He calls us. And so, not only can you be called to Christian service, but every single human being is being called of God to the Christian faith. So that is a vocation if you will. Okay? It's not your job, but it's who God wants you to be. I liked that definition. Here's another one. A strong impulse or inclination to follow a particular activity or career. This is a more modern more modern well, even postmodern definition because you notice there's no Outward being, wooing, drawing, or calling. It's just all about me. And this impulse that I have, or this 
inclination, this something within me is making me decide to follow. But it's all about me. You see, the world doesn't want to acknowledge that they submit to a God. So they have to come up with some way to understand why someone would follow a particular path. And it's something within that draws you and calls to you and makes you do this. There were a number of other different definitions that I came up with, but I found it interesting that those two things, one, God calls us, woos us, not only to Christian I mean, not to Christian, not only to Christian service, but just to be Christians, period. But then the world's mindset is, it's something from within me that makes me desire or want to be who I end up being. Um, the, the other thing that I was thinking about was, and it wasn't in any definition that I came across, but I wanted to just throw it out for us to consider this morning. Um, the, uh, the idea that it's not just a Christian service that one needs to be called of God into. I truly believe that God calls every single one of us to a vocation, a career, a place in this community, a place in this life, on varying levels. Think about it. What drew you to this particular church? Why are you faithfully attending this particular church? Was it just because it was the closest one? Some people have come here because that was this was the church in their neighborhood and this is where they came to church. They didn't have any particular reason other than that. Others have come because they have sensed that God has a reason for them being in this particular body. And they're trying to live out that calling, that vocation. Another thing to think about in these different levels of callings, some of us are really gifted when it comes to administrative work and others would die a thousand deaths if they had to do administrative work. Some of us are called to work with people. Others are not suited to work with people and work quite well all by themselves in their own little corner and they're quite effective in accomplishing and using their skills but try to put them in a setting where they have to interact with a bunch of other people and they would fail miserably. So I think in this idea of vocation and calling there we have to look at some ideas of giftedness, personality type. In other words, how did God create you and what has God empowered you with in addition to your location, in addition to the time frame in which you were born, because, for example, <clears throat> I could not ever be, well, I guess I could, I could be a blacksmith, I could be drawn to be a blacksmith, but there's not much call for blacksmiths nowadays. So it would be, I would have to be exceptional in my trade in order to be able to make a living as a blacksmith, Okay? Now, Bob Hauer made an incredible niche market with his sharpening service. Because once he got started, he realized he was pretty much the only provider in this whole interior of Alaska. And he became overwhelmed because of the amount of work that came his way. But he was specifically gifted and called, I believe, into that area. So that's an idea of vocation. 
So now let me tell you my personal story. Okay? Bob Sugden grew up as an actor. Third grade, I was in Sourdough Charlie, which was a story about Alaska becoming the 49th state and Never had a clue that I'd ever live here, but I was one of the sourdoughs, and we sang these songs, and we had construction paper beards, and <clears throat> that was the beginning of my taste for theater, and it, it just excited something within me, and I literally, from that time on, all the way through to my senior high years, I was going to be a professional entertainer. That was what I wanted to do. At age 16, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and God had a different role for me. And he began putting it in my heart to be a pastor. I didn't fully understand that at the beginning. As a young Christian, I didn't have anybody mentoring me, anybody guiding me. I literally was just kind of floundering on my own. There was about, about 10 or 15 or 20 of us that were all kind of friends that hung out together and we read the Bible together, but we really didn't have a mentor or a pastor over us. And the end result was that in my senior year of high school in December, I had a young friend who said to me, what are you going to do next year when you graduate? And I said, well, I don't know. And she said, well, are you going to go to college? No, I'm not, I'm not ready for college. What are we, go to community college? No, nah, community college is like college. It's like high school all over again. She said, well, what about the military? And I went, ha, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. And she's like, no, really, what about that? And I thought about it, and that afternoon I went and signed up. <laughs> Went to the Air Force recruiter, because all my other friends were going to the Air Force recruiter, and I signed up, literally. I was old enough, because they had what's called the delayed entry program, and I was 17, and it was okay, and so I signed up. And I called my dad, and he said, where are you? Because it's 5 o'clock at night, I got out of school, it's 2.30 or 3. Where are you? Because I hadn't even called them to tell him. I'm at the Air Force recruiting office, Dad. Dad? You are? Yeah. I need to ask you some questions. Okay, okay. And he talked to the recruiter and said, yeah, just have him bring the paperwork home and I'll sign it. We're good. Well, then, after it's all said and done, right, I've signed up. My dad's already given permission. I'm driving home with all of the paper for my dad to sign. And I literally, as I'm driving, go, is this okay? And the Lord, I heard him say, you're asking me this now? <laughs> I had already signed up. <laughs> it was a done deal other than the swearing in. And so I went through the process of becoming a member of the United States Air Force. And five days out of high school, I was on active duty. and hated it. Um, it was the worst thing for my personality type. I took an interest inventory in college. I said, absolutely not. On the top of the do not do list was the military. But I stayed in the military for 21 years. Why? Because every stinking time that I tried to get out of the military, God specifically said, no, you stay. Now, all that while, I had a call on my life to be a pastor. All that while. And I could not understand why if God has called me to be a pastor, I can't get out of the military and be a pastor. Come on, this is craziness. But God had a perfect plan for Bob. And I can now look back at this side of it and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because 
back when I was 22 and 25 and 27 years old, I was so broken as a human being, there's no way I could have effectively pastored a congregation. I would have broken them. Seriously. I was so hurt and damaged from things that had happened in my own life that had not been resolved yet, that had anybody looked at me cross-eyed in the congregation, which never happens to pastors, um, I would have fallen to pieces and would have lashed back out at them in rage, and the end result was I would have caused great harm to the kingdom. And so God knew that before he could allow me to be a pastor, he had to do some things in my own life. And so the end result was it took 21 years to get me where I was able to be able to start being a pastor. Okay, Then I got out of the Air Force and I was ready to go. And you've heard this story. God then said, I want you to go to Bible college. What? No! Church! Church! You're going to give me a church, God! You called me! I served for 21 years in the military! Church! Bible college. Church! Bible college. Church! Bible college. Problem? No, sir. <laughs> Five years of Bible college, then finally I get my first church. Thank God he sent me to Rivers Church of the Nazarene because you people are gracious. Because I messed up big time in the first few years I was here. I hurt people. But not as bad had it been 20 years earlier. But I have grown as a pastor in my skills. I have grown as an administrator. I have grown as a minister. I have grown in my ability. And I, I now, and I can say this without going, I'm so wonderful. I now see in this community that I am held in high esteem. I now have people in the town who recognize my leadership because of my ministry here. I'm not saying that in any way to say that I'm so wonderful. What I'm saying is I'm walking out the path God has laid for me, faithfully following step by step the plan he has put before me. And the end result is he has raised me up in the eyes of the community and hopefully in the eyes of my congregation where I am now walking, in, walking out my vocation. You see, I, I mentioned... Uh, that the Bible talks about this kind of stuff, this, this idea of followership. And there's one scripture that, that, I, was, that I came across this, this, uh, yeah. as I was trying to prepare. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, <coughs> verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to the church there, I urge you to live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, it's really easy for me because I have the standard plain vanilla variety calling. I'm a call to a Christian service. I'm called to be a minister in the church, in the kingdom of God. But for you guys sitting in the pew who aren't ministers, how do you live that out? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling that's on your life? What path has God called you to that you need to walk faithfully, following the leader, living out a Christ-like existence, using the gifts, the talents, 
the experiences, the, the world in which you live, the, you know, you were born in this frame of time because your personality type, your history, your family, your genetics, all of it was perfect in God's eyes for what he called you to for now instead of sending, bringing you into the earth in the 1300s, say, or the 1100s. There was a reason he brought you here at this time in this area and even this community. Because how many of you guys actually were born and raised in Fairbanks? Raise your hand. Anybody? One, two, three. Three of 30, one-tenth of us, are from Fairbanks. The rest of us were drawn here somehow, some way. Hopefully, God had a hand in that drawing and brought you here for a reason. So are you walking in the reason that he called you to live here? And is the what? Huh? Well, that's cheating. That's cheating. You can't change the rules. But think about it. See, when Jesus, when he initially called his followers, and we don't have to take the time to read it, it's very familiar. They're out cleaning their nets, sitting on the side of the lake Galilee, and Jesus walks up to Andrew, Peter. James and John, and he looks at him and says, you, come, follow me. And he walks away. And they go, okay. And they walk away. Jesus' words to them are, though, repent and believe the good news. And see, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, when he said to them, repent, my first thought is always, repent of your sin. But these were good Jews. They were trying their hardest to live a life that followed the Mosaic Law. They went three times a year down to Jerusalem because they were males of majority age. And they would go down and offer their sacrifices. And they were trying to live out their life according to the Torah. According to the Law of Moses. So what did they have to repent of? They weren't sinners. I mean, they probably sinned. But they weren't out violating God's law. They weren't out there trying to live raucous lives. They were people trying to honor God with their life. So what did they have to repent of? And I came across this one scholar that wrote something and I went, I've never thought about that before like that. He said, to repent is to turn away from an existing object of trust. I trust in myself. I'm trusting in my life, my own ability to meet my own needs. I'm trusting in my own strength. And repentance means to turn. To cease what you're doing and to turn. And he said his understanding or his his way of recognizing this is that they turn from trusting in themselves to believing on and trusting in the Lord Jesus. As their foundation, as their guide, as their leader. So they have a wholehearted change from trusting in their own strength, their own power, their own abilities, to following Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their Rabbi, as their Messiah. I'd never thought about that before. And it's one person's opinion. And you can take it for what it's worth. You don't have to like it. You can say, that's bunk, and throw it out. But it it rang true with me. The other thing that I came across 
that I had never heard before. And it's fun when you're a pastor and you're preparing a sermon and all of a sudden you read something and you go, wow, that's brand new for me. I've never... I have to read... Some people are just you know plain vanilla and they just read the same things over and over again. But every so often you get these jewels. And this one guy said, Jesus went to these guys, James, John, Andrew, and Peter, who were fishermen by trade, and he walked up to them, and he had this cute little expression, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't going, come on, guys, follow me. I've got this really cute little gimmicky thing that I'm going to do. You can be fishers of men if you follow Jesus. That's not what that was about. But that's what I've always heard. Anytime I've heard this talked about, he called the fishermen to be fishers of men. Isn't that funny? Ha ha, let's move on. I never, ever, ever heard this. And I've read Isaiah before. But if you turn or just write your notes down, Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21, it says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. In Isaiah, there's symbology that this pool of wickedness is like the sea. Ever restless, never having any stability, there is no peace. And Jesus says to these four guys, come follow me. We're going to go rescue people out of that sea of wickedness. I need you to be fishers of men to pull them out. And rescue them. Are you in? That rang so true with me. Because one of the visual things God has given me about my ministry here in Two Rivers, which made no sense because it was like we are nowhere near the ocean, we are nowhere near the sea, but God literally gave me an image that I was to be like a rescue lifeboat operator going out into the raging waves and rescuing those who are drowning to bring them to safety, to the, to the rock where they have stability. That's the image that God gave me years ago about my ministry here in the Two Rivers area. That I was to go out into the sea with my rescue boat and grab people and pull them up into the boat and then bring them back to a place of stability where they could get on the solid rock and have foundation for their life. That is an amazing, for me, connection. That the wickedness of the world is like the sea. And I as a fisher of men am called to help fish them out, if you will. But the bottom line with this follow me, fisher of men thing, is this idea of discipleship. I told you at the beginning, as a Christian, a brand new baby Christian, I had no one discipling me. I had no one overseeing my initial months as a Christian. And so I just kind of, wherever I went to church and I went to, with my friends, but I had no real guidance. And it took years, literally, until I came under the ministry of my father-in-law, who finally became a mentor for me and helped me to discern my calling and helped me to become a man of God, an adult within my own faith. And this idea of discipleship is something that the church that we live in today is sorely lacking. 
See, when Jesus said, come follow me, what his, the hearers were understanding was he was a rabbi. He was asking them to become Talmud, which are disciples. And a disciple, just like Cheyenne told us with this idea of follow the leader, the Talmud's job 24-7 was to continually observe the rabbi. To learn from the rabbi. To study the rabbi. What was his thought process? How did he respond to the situation? How would the rabbi in this setting, how would he go about doing such and thus? And once the rabbi saw that the disciple, the Talmud, was, had learned everything that the rabbi could tell him, the rabbi would then say, it is now time for you to go out and become a rabbi and to get your own Talmud so that you can begin teaching them. That's when Jesus came to these guys and said, come follow me. The interaction, the transaction that was taking place. It wasn't just, come on, let's go have some fun and we'll fish men out of the sea. It was, you come and learn from me. And I'll teach you the ways of God. I'll teach you about the kingdom of God and how it is that you can live a life worthy of the calling that I have placed on you. Discipleship. And so I come back to the question I asked you just a few minutes ago. How can you, who are not called to Christian ministry, live out in a worthy way the calling that God has placed on your life? And I would submit to you that it is your responsibility to be discipled and to practice discipline in your own daily walk with God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything that I can point to. I can't say this list that you check off and now you're good. But I can tell you some of the things on the list, knowing God's word. It doesn't mean reading it for 15 minutes every single day before you have breakfast. But knowing God's word, being able to intelligently articulate what you believe and why you believe it because you've studied it, whether it's five minutes a day or five hours a day. Faithfully sharing your faith with others when asked. It doesn't mean that you have to be an evangelist standing on the street corner with your bullhorn and your nasty sign saying, go to hell or repent. You've seen them in this town. But it does mean, as First Peter says, when you're asked, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you and make your answer with gentleness and respect. But if you haven't disciplined yourself, if you haven't studied to show yourself approved, if you aren't working towards this living a life worthy of the calling, then when the opportunities are presented to you, you won't be able to. I, mean, I, would, I don't know, I just believe because I went to church, you know. If you can articulate your faith to someone, you might be used of God to bring that someone into the kingdom, to rescue that fish out of the sea of wickedness. But if you don't discipline yourself, it'll never happen. Prayer, reading of the word, fellowshipping with other believers, studying the Bible, practicing spiritual disciplines of silence, solitude, Fasting, meditation, 
with the whole goal of becoming Christ-like. Well, what does it mean to be Christ-like? Well, look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. That's what it means to be living a life worthy of the calling that you receive. And the way that you do that is you practice it. Like Cheyenne said, you keep your eyes on the, on the leader and you follow the best you can. And if you mess up, you don't get kicked out. You get to keep playing. You just get better and better and better until someday you actually get to be the leader of your own group. Not that you'll ever take Jesus' place, but you see what I'm saying. Well, that's what I understand from what I've studied this week. Being a follower, being a disciple, living a life worthy of the calling that is on my life. I would encourage you to spend time this week reflecting. Where are you in this path? Are you living your life in a way that is worthy of the calling? I'm not saying you're not. I would hope that all of you could say, yes, I am. But if while you're reflecting, you find out that maybe there's some areas that you're not, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then, just like at the beginning, repent, confess, believe that he's forgiven you, and continue walking. Continue following the leader. That's the end. Let me give you the question for further discussion. And this will be what we discussed this evening at our small group. If God calls us to a vocation, but we refuse to do it either through fear or inaction, what happens? Is there such a thing as a second best calling of God? Let's pray.